0: What's up and welcome back to Japan. your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan. I am here with my co-host Dave Martin's son. What's going on, man?
1: Hey, man. You see Jake Gyllenhaal in that Spider-Man trailer? Looks
0: pretty I good. actually haven't gotten <laughs> to see the Spider-Man trailer.
1: Give me the, the quick breakdown. Pretty standard stuff. Samuel Jackson's in it. They're in Venice, hmm. which I thought was interesting. But everyone's making a big deal about Hall as Mysterio. Yes. It looks pretty good. And it's kind of like Aquaman, making a ridiculous-looking comic book character look kind of decent mm-hmm. on screen. So we'll see. It comes out in July.
0: Looking forward to that. Uh, you know, We talked about that on our most anticipated album. So... Uh, If you haven't listened to that podcast, please circle back and check that out. You can find us, listen to us, anywhere that you can listen to podcasts, including YouTube. Hit that subscribe button, SoundCloud.com slash NostalgiaPod. Follow those links there to listen to it wherever you prefer. We mostly appreciate the feedback on YouTube and iTunes. Give us that rating five stars and give us that feedback. Help us grow. We're going to be talking pretty much the whole gambit today. We're going to be talking movies, TV, music, and Oscar predictions. It's funny, I was thinking about this week because... We're still in a bit of a lull. Things are starting to ramp back up. But then next week, we got how many albums? Six? Seven?
1: I have seven written yeah. down. Don't know if we'll talk about all of them, <laughs> but I have seven on my radar. We
0: we got quite a few to talk about next week, so it's really starting to ramp up. The ones that came out this past week are by not as popular artists. Uh, one we've talked about before, Wi-Fi's Funeral, uh, collaborating with Rob Banks with Connected. Uh, with the threes i'm not sure Am I supposed to say connected 33 i don't think so but
1: i'm just connected i think yeah
0: <laughs> we, we talked about wi-fi's funeral i think we mentioned him as uh, was he someone who could be on the xxl this year
1: uh no he made, he it, made it last happen. year one of the correct calls we That's
0: had right. one of the correct calls you had for sure so <laughs> tell me what did you think about this album connected collaborating with rob banks
1: uh, Yeah, the only reason I really put on the docket this week is just, again, there was not a whole lot else. But also, I feel like Wi-Fi is still pretty slept on as far as uh, newer rappers go, as far as Florida rappers go. So I just wanted to give him more shine with that. But uh, yeah, I thought it was solid. It's not his best work. I'd say if you like Wi-Fi, or if you're interested in this, go listen to Ethernet, which we reviewed, or listen to... His Boy Who Cried Wolf tape. But this, you know, I mean, Rob Banks has never really impressed me much. not a Florida rapper, and that didn't really change on this. But the Wi-Fi, you know, for a 30-minute tape, I mean, it's all produced by Chris Zanera, one producer, for, you know, a low-stakes project like this. I think he still can, you know, have some moments here or there, make an impression. I think it just kind of goes to his strengths we talked about before. His flow's pretty effortless. Um, he can kind of bounce on any beat, and I think he does that. I think chris Nero's beats they're all pretty moody a lot of drums here but i thought wi-fi did pretty well rob banks i mean honestly i thought it was a bit of a letdown but there were a few songs where they kind of went back and forth and i thought it actually had some real chemistry those are probably the few moments they might have been in the studio together i thought i can't feel my face when the first few songs was like that but i mean overall it, it's it's low stakes it's second week in january new music you know it's totally skippable but i thought it was okay
0: yeah i, I think okay is Pretty much exactly where I was at with it, where I left feeling like, yeah, that, that was fine. I'm, I'm not mad I listened to it. I'm not super thrilled I listened to it. It wasn't anything where I was like, ah, <laughs> I'm going to be telling everybody about this. There were a couple songs that stood out. EA, I thought it was pretty good. Uh, Can't Feel My Face was another one that, that stood out. And I kind of liked Moving Slow as well. Um, it's just kind of the highlights for me. Right. But overall, I, I think we're, we have way more to look forward to with Wi-Fi. Than, than this um and like you said his past project uh ethernet is a much better project and shows a little bit more of his range and, and ability so please check that one out and uh you know give us give us your thoughts on this any last thoughts on this one though because i kind of want
1: to talk about comethazine a little more support wi-fi listen to other stuff busky too. <laughs> busky yeah you got it who,
0: who is this guy tell me about comethazine
1: i mean do we have yeah. to yeah <laughs> so, the reason I want to talk about Komethazine is not for his musical town, which there's very little of. Oh, shit. And not for his past music, which I'm not a fan of, but really just about how he became famous. He got relatively well-known quickly, at the beginning in last year. Uh, you might remember YB and Namir's Bounce Out With That, song that dropped at the beginning of last year. A song I like, 2-Minute Banger from Namur, it's pretty good. Uh, Cole Bennett video, whatnot. But that song initially was just just on uh, SoundCloud, and Comethazine uploaded a track with that as the name before before it was actually on SoundCloud and got a lot of a, lo- a lot of streams, right? Because everyone liked that song, wasn't actually on YouTube yet, whatever, right? Then he did like the replace file feature in SoundCloud, something we've used a lot because that's our podcast host. He replaced the file with one of his own songs, therefore keeping all of the streams he got and keeping his chart placement in the SoundCloud top fifty. So, he basically, like, finessed and defrauded his way into SoundCloud oh, fame yeah. by, like, st- replacing his song, like, he stripped down the beat, it sounded kind of similar, and the next thing everyone knows, wait a minute, this is not the song we're listening to, and all these f- these plays are fake, and then his label was like, eh, well, sorry, you got yeah. us. And then, all that, for this dude that's, like, so unoriginal, so uninspired, <laughs> it's just so disappointing that someone so lame could get this much notoriety, but... That's where we're at. And I think uh, Bosky too, much like Bosky from last August, it's pretty bad.
0: <laughs> yeah. Not only did I feel like he was bad on it, I, I mean, it, it, a lot of his stuff is just like very outlandish and just kind of like things I, I don't enjoy listening about anyway. But um, I just kind of found it very unmemorable. And it, I mean, it was quick. It's a quick album. It's only 17 minutes, which maybe speaks mm-hmm. to a lack of inspiration or maybe speaks to uh, artistic choice. But I I I didn't... I not only did I think he was bad, but his, the production on this was very... I, I felt, felt like disjointed and not really done well. Kind of rushed. Just overall sounded not like a finished product at all.
1: Yeah, and I, honestly, I think the fact that I got bored with something that was 17 minutes <laughs> long says a lot about the lack of variety. But my issue with Comethazine just as like an artist is that there's nothing to him. He has no flair he's so artificial and his flows are just little pump in six nine flows there's nothing going on here it's not you know, like braggadocio and materialism and hyperbole that's nothing new in this scene at all right. but at least be bringing something to the table but he's not doing anything so it just sounds ridiculous also you made a, a rap song about demar derozan of all basketball players <laughs> i like derozan but uh, he's kind of at the l- low on the list of guys worthy of naming a song after just saying <laughs> So, yeah, I think Comethazine uh, is kind of the worst SoundCloud rapper there is right but now. But doesn't, put it doesn't DeMar
0: Rosen as a song kind of encapsulate who he is as an artist? Like, all right, this is... Yeah, a I exactly. I am the DeMar Rosen of, of SoundCloud rap. All right, cool. Good for you, dude. Enjoy that. So, <laughs> give us your thoughts on the album. I'm sure that there are people out there who stand for him.
1: Yeah, I'm sure there are.
0: Why don't we jump next to True Detective, Season 3. Why don't we do a quick... Temperature check. Where were we at with True tech 2 season one? Fan or not a fan, Dave?
1: Big fan, big fan. It was one of those first shows of the I mean it came in twenty eleven, so it was one of those first shows of like the peak uh TV era, you know, the starting to occupy the post breaking bad space. First like show to really kind of give us like a sense of what TV is like now and really usher in that limited series boom that we're in, right? And I really liked it, I think for a lot of a lot of reasons most people liked it, which was movie stars on TV, which was still a little newer back then, McConaughey and Harrelson, of course, leading the way. And coupled with really standout direction from Carrie Fukunao. It has looked really cool. It was acted well and frankly, Fukunawa and the in the in the talent, acting talent, kind of elevated everything else from Pizzolato. But I think there there's been a lot of criticism of the season as well, maybe how it ended, how it treated female characters. I'd recommend Emily Nussbaum's review in The New Yorker for more on that. But Overall, I still liked it and I still think it is pretty effective as a season, uh, a limited series and as like a mystery crime show and whatnot. I mean, I don't know if we really talked much about it, but what was your take on season one way back? In?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I love season one. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think the second half of the season didn't come together as well as the, as the first part where it was really just McConaughey and Harrelson getting to sit in a car and be their weird character, especially McConaughey got to kind of be his weird self in a lot of ways. Season two is just a mess (laughs) in a lot of ways. I guess the image I have of season two is Vince Vaughn walking through the desert like half dead with all like hallucinating. (laughs) And I feel like that just kind of encapsulates the season. They had a lot of ideas, but also some production issues. And I think with all that talent, I mean, you had Colin Farrell, you had Taylor Kitsch, you had Rachel Rachel McAdams. Yes, thank you. The fact that Season 2 was such a flop is probably one of the most disappointing TV seasons in recent history.
1: Yeah, and it's funny because True Detective Season 1 was 14, not 11. I don't know why I said 11. But two, Season 2 was Fast Track, came out right after in 2015. And like, remember like the True Detective Season 2 meme was going about casting the show. There's a lot of hype going into Season 2. And then without Fukunawa involved to form the visuals, I think Pizzolatto just kind of got lost in his sauce a little bit because... I mean, Taylor Kish was a gay character. Rachel McAdams was supposed to be a strong female character, but still kind of didn't totally work. And ultimately, the show was just really muddled and kind of lost the charm of season one. Mm -hmm. I think season three, at least for the first two episodes that we've seen, really seems to be focusing on what made season one appealing and kind of throwing away what season two tried to do.
0: Yeah, and I also think that the plot, you know, you kind of talk about getting lost in the sauce, the plot of it and focusing on this like governmental conspiracy with the highways, and, uh, you know, there was some very strong overtones of uh, Ill- Illuminati and just these like secret groups. It was. Yeah, you know, Rachel McAdams at one point is almost like sold into like a sex trade. Uh, it's very, oh, yeah. I f-
1: I totally. I mean, I forgot about the whole plot to be honest, but yeah. I do remember that episode now. It's an
0: incredibly <laughs> muddled plot, so it's, I mean, there, there was a lot of issues with this. So, season three coming out, you know, just premiered this past weekend, dropped the first two episodes, starring Mahershala Ali. That was good news. Still, Nick Pizzolazzo is behind this, and we saw a season two flop. We don't have one director kind of coming through to uh, man the helm. It's it's being doled out piecemeal in, in part. I mean, it's really what, three people? Uh, Jeremy yep. Saulnier, Nick Pizzolato himself, and Daniel Sackheim. And they're taking different parts of the season for the most part. We were both pretty optimistic for this. How did you feel like the season premiere felt for your expectations?
1: Oh, yeah, I'm feeling good about the season. I think part of the charm of this season for me was knowing that's only eight episodes so there's just less runtime for mistakes yep. and stringing out a story that doesn't have enough meat on the bone to justify such a long runtime. So I think that's a smart choice for starters and I mean we've already seen two, so there's only six more weeks. you know that's appealing to me for an HBO show and this like I said before I think it's really getting back to the appeal of season one. we have two investigators uh, working together. they have different experiences and outlooks on life from what we've seen so far. And there's this case that really seems to be uh, consuming them. Obviously, the multiple timelines is mm-hmm. uh, a little bit like season one, but I think they're really going a little further with it this time with three distinct timelines: 1980, and 1990, and 2015. Right. But yeah, I'm uh, optimistic from what I've seen so far. What was your read?
0: Yeah, I'm I'm incredibly optimistic about it. I think the timelines um, is really interesting for two uh, in, in two ways. Not only is it interesting in terms of telling this narrative and Kind of looking at how the case develops over time, but then also it's being told from the perspective of Marshall al character, who, uh, you know, Detective Hayes has memory issues. He's either suffering from Mm -hmm. early uh, Alzheimer's in the 1980s and then, or is it the 1990s? 1980s and then 2015. He's obviously kind of full-blown, encapsulated by it's either Alzheimer's or dementia of some sort. I don't know if they specify at all um, mm-hmm. but so that that leaves some questions in the narrative and what if what we're seeing is really not i think that's going to kind of lead to some of the the gaps that we're going to have to fill in and it's almost like we kind of relearn pieces of the case with mahershala as his character in 2015 is you know uh, re-illuminated to these these facts that he probably has forgotten based on his illness i think that's a really interesting spin to the season
1: they made a distinct choice early on telling us that uh what's her name uh julie the girl survives, mm. uh, or at least her prints pop up in, in the 90s, right. right? And by telling us that, by kind of quote, spoiling what's going to happen in the 80s timeline, the fact that they did that so early, I think, she expresses confidence in what's actually going to, we're actually going to see in the 80s timeline. Mm. So I like that choice. And speaking to the timelines again, you know, watching them kind of like, folding on each other as Mahershala wherever he is starts like talking to the camera from a different time you know I think that's a smart choice nice way to transition uh settings I thought that was pretty effective for the two episodes yeah. and then yeah I mean it just kind of has the vibe you know this is I mean season one was more uh deep south right more like uh like southern gothic or whatever but this is like the Ozarks I think like mm-hmm. Fayetteville Arkansas I want to say yep. and that's more I guess like rural suburbs is is the vibe and we're clearly in a post Vietnam era for the eighty timeline and that's already we've seen a lot of that already with both uh Wayne and like the the scrap character yep. both having like, you know, PTSD as veterans mm-hmm. and whatnot. Uh that, they're doing that well. And then we've already seen a lot of signs of well a lot of people are talking about like the satanic panic mm-hmm. and just kinda societal fears of the time of the eighties. So i think they're really setting the, the mood there well i want to see more from the 90 timeline again i mean all we've seen so far is like a few conversations yeah right at like desks in like a restaurant or whatever we haven't seen a lot there uh we finally got the revelation about those prints so we'll see uh but i like the 80s vibe for sure and i mean not that we need to really say much on that but the acting is, is well i think uh Obviously, much to be made about um, Herschel as first real lead mm-hmm. as a TV actor. He's been on TV forever. Uh, most of us probably know him from House of Cards as Remy Danton, but I really like Stephen Dorf so far as Roland, yeah. his partner, just because the juxtaposition of their experiences in a rural white area mm-hmm. uh, is already coming out and uh, their different views and whatnot. And then even like smaller roles, like I really like Karen and Njogo, and or and, how do you say Njogo? as uh, Amelia not that we've had a lot of her talking as a character without a relationship to Wayne coming in but I still think it, they have good chemistry so far and then like Scoot McNary in like a bit role he's been in everything that's cool yeah. um <laughs> and then shout out uh his son in 2015 timeline, Wayne's son yeah that's uh Ray Fisher who's cyborg from Justice League uh maybe not the best best role but at least it's something for him <laughs> well it,
0: it seems like it, it there was more conflict to come with that role at the end of episode yeah. two so he might get a little bit more uh a little bit more to play with there i i think carmen jago has actually been the the standout for me i mean mahershala is he's a class act actor i mean um he's He's going to be the favorite to step on one of our segments for the best supporting actor at the mm-hmm. Oscars. He just won at the Globes. He's won an Oscar in the past. He's just a phenomenal actor. So there, there's no surprises there. I think he plays this role so perfectly and to play this person at three different parts of their life, I can imagine is also difficult, but at the same time probably helpful to conceptualize who this person was earlier to actually play it and then get to kind of play it as they develop. And then get older. Amelia, though, seems to be for me the the key to this season because while while Mahershala uh, is obviously going to be the one doing the heavy lifting or the majority of it, uh, Amelia seems to be the one who is going to be helping him to really uncover the secrets. And I wonder and this is a little bit of my own theorizing. I wonder if she's going to be involved <laughs> in this disappearance or this these these murders at all in some some respect and how that might. Um, not only create family issues in 2015 as Mahershala is kind of missing her, but probably doesn't remember some of the things that happened, um, but also maybe how that led to pieces of, of the case um, interfering in their personal lives and the 1990 timeline. Um, it, that, that's just my my like early theory on it, mm. but she's she's so <laughs> mysterious at this point, I'm like you, there, there's gotta be mm. more there than, than just this.
1: Yeah, I'm probably gonna lean away from that just because like, she writes a true kind book. And like that's some pretty cocky shit. To Hiding in plain book about sight, a, a book you, a crime you committed. Yeah. <laughs> oh
0: well, you know, if OJ did it, that he wrote how he would have done. I, I also, what, one thing to kind of point out, you, you mentioned, you know, the the sa- satanic um, hysteria back in the seventies, and um, I, one thing I think is really interesting is it seems like there might be some ties to season one within this, that this is happening in the same universe. Mm. I don't know if season two is going to be tied in. I kind of hope they just throw it by the wayside um but it, how do you feel about that about season one being maybe like residually tied in here
1: yeah I mean thematically it kind of is already a little connected in terms of the uh symbolism iconography of like finding the victims right mm-hmm. you know it's the same kind of thing and whether the yellow king actually shows up in the season or not yeah I think thematically they're connected and geographically timeline wise it all kind of makes sense i I wouldn't be surprised uh if if that came to be but even if it's just uh thematically i think it's a smart decision like i said
0: yeah i think um i think if if anything um for true detective to be successful moving forward there needs to be a bit of continuity even if it's i think the uh, the anthology format makes a lot of sense just because these these back actors aren't going to want to play these roles forever but I think having some kind of world building with it is going to be a huge plus for the show down the line. Um, I wanted to ask you, do you have any early theories on the season? Because this is probably my favorite part about it is like just kind of trying to figure out hmm. the murder ahead of the what we know.
1: Yeah, I'm going to just go and say that I don't think we've seen the killer slash kidnapper yet hmm. because we hadn't seen the uh, killer slash kidnapper this early in season one. True. We briefly see. Glenn Fleshler as the Yellow King and on the tractor, right? Like in like episode three or four, then we don't see him again towards the end. Yeah, I was trying to... so I wouldn't be surprised if it's being slow play. Like there's some obvious red herrings, like those three punk kids from the school. Mm-hmm. It's not them, I think, and and like someone that everyone else wants to blame, like the trash guy uh, collector. It's not going to be him either. Right. the the uh, The guy that they kidnap, uh, the cops kidnap and like rough up and think he's suspect but he's like so obvious mm-hmm. like I don't think it's him either so I don't really think we've seen him yet but it may be pretty wild if it's uh Amelia like you said
0: Well, what do you think about the uh the uncle of the kids
1: yeah I, th- I think this is introduced too early too early it's a false flag
0: uh, I like it I like that you're, you're sticking with we haven't seen him yet and you're, you're probably right but it's it's fun to theorize any other thoughts around the show or anything that stood out to you
1: no I, I'm actually happy that the linear ratings which I mean linear ratings are kind of irrelevant but as in terms of pure linear ratings it was right on line with Big Little Lies' premiere and Sharp Objects' premiere from last year, down from True Detective season one and two, but ratings as a whole are down since then, so that's not really a good analog. But w- I wouldn't be surprised if, like those other shows, it continues to build up steam throughout the season, and I hope it does, because I think this is a uh, occupying a nice time in the calendar, both for HBO, who has a big year coming up, but also for everyone else. There's not a lot of note on at this moment, so I think a lot of people should be have time to tune in and probably will
0: i'm happy about the show's success and definitely we i think we highly recommend it at this point so please check it out let us know your thoughts give us some comments on that youtube video to to spark conversation and give me your theories uh you can hit us up on on twitter at well at nostalgia pod um hit me up with your theories there because i I really want to I want to figure this hmm. out before the the season uh, shows us what happens.
1: You sound like a Westworld viewer to me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, Give me those theories. Yeah, but, well, I, at least I, I got Mahershala to lean on and not some some poor <laughs> and, and uninspired performances on Westworld. But if you want to hear our Westworld thoughts, go back and check that out in our archives. We got we talked about that a yeah. lot.
1: Videos called Westworld sucks. If you didn't know.
0: <laughs> I wanted to jump next to. On the basis of sex. I recently watched R.B.G., the uh, documentary this year that made quite a bit of money for documentaries. I Meaning we talked about documentaries having a great year in 2018, and on the basis of of sex by uh, you know directed by Mimi Letter, um, starring Felicity Jones, Armie Hammer, with a great supporting cast: Justin Thoreau, Sam Waterston, um, Stephen Root, just a couple of them. It. it I feel like it, it captures a lot of the essence of what what's kind of brought up in the documentary. And the documentary covers RBG's entire life. And the, the film only focuses on really her uh, beginning of grad school to the time that she defends her first case in front of a state Supreme Court. Uh, the Denver, mm-hmm. or the um, Colorado State Supreme Court, I should say. It's I think it's a well-done movie. Um, ultimately forgettable, but I feel like kind of where I, maybe I want to start the discussion is, felicity jones's performance because while i feel like this is a nice film and one that i you know i enjoy watching and i i, I won't mind going back to down the line i don't know if it's if she really captures rbg you know what, what it means to be ruth bader ginsburg hmm. in that full essence i think she gives a good performance but there's something about ruth bader ginsburg as like this woman who with this i don't know the staunch this like Staunchness and, and this ability to like have this great presence and this calmness and this confidence that comes through in almost any situation. I mean, she's the notorious not 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 defender. She writes the uh, dissenter, dissenter. Yes, the 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 notorious dissenter of the Supreme Court. And I don't know if Jones gives her that gravitas in this role. What did you think?
1: I mean, do they capture a lot of that in the R B G doc? I haven't seen the doc, but like, do they capture a lot of what she was like when she was young?
0: Basically, the way that they frame her in the documentary is that she was this very serious girl who was incredibly smart and who was incredibly capable and just kind of overcame all these obstacles that were placed in front of her. And a lot of them that they talk about and they show in the film, you know, her husband having these illness, you know, um, facing blatant sexism. But they do highlight for her how she had all of these moments throughout her life, where she basically was had this obstacle put in front of her. People blatantly saying to her, "You can't do this," and she just was like, mm, nah, I'm gonna do it anyway. Like, I'm gonna figure it right. out." Um, and I think that the relationship that, that they show in the movie is pretty spot on for what they describe in the doc that Martin was kind of like the heart and soul of the family, that he was kind of driving force, and RBG was really like the brains and and the the just the overall smarts um, and. Not saying anything way from Martin Ginsburg, who seems to be an incredibly accomplished and brilliant man himself, but just he right. brought more uh, heart and and kind of uh, that like sturdiness, whereas RBG was just like fully intellectual and fully like pushing boundaries hmm. all the time.
1: Yeah, I mean, I didn't have really an issue with it. I think, I mean, for me, I just kind of went in with an open mind because. Like the whole notorious RBG persona that, like, most people today think of, we all think of her as an older woman, right? This movie set way before that. Like, she didn't get put on the Supreme Court till she was 60 years old. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, she's like 85 now. We're way, we're way before that. So I don't really have a problem with her, like, persona not being, like, fully developed yet. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? But if we didn't pick Felicity Jones, who are we going to pick? You know, because in terms of, like, in demand actors for a movie that, a time, one time had award aspirations i mean she fits that mold she's been nominated before she's also quite short you know i think she fits the, and, and she's a talented actress i think look at her a lot of her recent choices she's done a lot of different things so having her just kind of fill in and be like a strong independent woman in face of a lot of challenges at the time i think she did, did pretty well i mean i think my issues with the film i like the film i think it's it's really enjoyable and the message is strong but I think it's just the whole movie itself is just kind of simple mm-hmm. if that makes sense. It's kind of a traditional a straightforward biopic mm-hmm. for good and bad and I think because the cast is pretty well done and charming and because the message is really d- well delivered at the end you kind of overlook that. Right. I think ultimately the reason this movie didn't pick up enough awards steam and while there there is a you know a middling review or two out there about this is just because what you see is what you get.
0: Do you know who was originally supposed to play RBG in this and backed out for, I I don't really remember the reason. Uh, it wasn't, I don't know. It's supposed to be Natalie Portman.
1: She's done a lot of historical figures recently. She said Jackie Kennedy. Yep. Yeah. That'd be interesting. Uh, that's honestly kind of a similar mold. Someone yep. who does a lot of different things, smaller woman, you know, Yeah, that makes sense.
0: And, and, i i guess i go back to kind of that moment where she starts to give her she starts to give her appeal or to the the colorado state supreme court where she kind of starts to talk and then like trips over her words a bit and they actually come back to this in the doc and rbg herself is like yeah i like the film but uh i never tripped over my words and like just the way (laughs) she delivered it i was like that's that's the fucking attitude right there that like even though she sure. faced all these, like, difficult obstacles, she she always, she like, took them on with grace and, like, strength that I think came across at po- points in the movie. And other times, um, it felt like she was almost, like, gaining that strength from her daughter in ways, which I thought was a really interesting dynamic. Who mm-hmm. I forgot to write down what, what that actress's name was, but she was, I think, fantastic in the film.
1: Yeah, she'll be, I forgot her name, too. She'll be in that new Alice Garland show, Devs, coming out later this year. So, looking forward to that. Yeah, I think ulti- I mean, and perhaps that's some creative license, right? right. Even though it's supposed to be dramatic, more or less presented as biopic. Yeah, and ultimately, I, it just doesn't really transcend the source material, which again is some pretty interesting and pretty compelling stuff, considering it's RPG, right. right? But ultimately, I think it's it's well done because the themes of sexism and equality, and really just that courtesy at the end, I think is is kind of tough to deny, but probably disappointed some people that wanted it to be like a much bigger uh movie like you know why why wasn't this darkest hour you know there just wasn't a lot of flair with this and i think part of that's probably the direction Part of that's probably the screenplay it's all just kind of simple and straightforward and you know, it's like hey we're gonna make a movie about rbg in this time and that's what they did you know uh, no more no less right so like i like i recommend it i think the cast is pretty strong i mean it's nice to see army hammer kind of playing like something besides like the leading man yep. while it's funny to watch them because they god is army hammer's like six four and <laughs> let jones is like what five two or whatever like it, it, there's that one scene I'm like wow they never show height differences like that mm-hmm. that was that was interesting but i thought they, they had a nice warm relationship and they're both as charismatic people yeah. i thought steven root and Waterson. i mean they're fine they're good actors but i mean they're pretty one note as like quote villains rather sure. <laughs> one note was jack rayner who plays like their young lawyer working for them mm-hmm. He, re- he literally looked like Sam Darnold in this movie to me, <laughs> and I was disappointed considering what he was saying.
0: <laughs> uh, I'm definitely going to uh, bring that back up when football season comes. Well, football season for you comes back around. My my season just started last
1: this past weekend. You had the draft in uh, three months, son. <laughs> what are you talking about?
0: But no, I I agree. I think I liked really. I really like Justin Thoreau in this film, although. I gotta be honest, they, they kind of gave uh, Mia Wolf, painted him a bad light here, just kind of as like, kind of a pussy at, at, at whatever point that they find him in his career here, where he's kind of stopped taking on these things. And I guess Ruth, in some way, inspires him or is supposed to inspire him to like continue right. fighting, which I guess is a really nice message. I agree on, on an Army Hammer. I thought he was probably my favorite part of the film, but he gets to be like that charming, like just kind of fun guy who is like the strength of the film and is doing the right thing all the time. It's a, it's a great role for him to be in, and, and God damn, for Martin Ginsburg. I mean, no, no offense to him. He, like I said, very accomplished person. Someday I hope to to get the glow up that he's gotten in a film because if yeah. Ar- Army <laughs> Hammer can play me someday, like Timothy Chalamet doing the Pat Sheen story, and like, oh, that's so... <laughs> please God, yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Oh,
1: that's so funny. But
0: no, I definitely recommend it. Check it out. Um, and yeah, I think it's it's a good film, not great. And probably one we won't be talking about for award season. But who will we be talking about for award season, Dave? Let, let's do some Oscar predictions. Where do you
1: want to start? Yeah, so the Oscar nominations are coming out on the twenty-second. We figured we'd try and predict what's going to happen ahead of time, and then once the noms come out, we won't actually do our official predictions until right before the ceremony. So this is the last we'll talk about those for you know a few more weeks. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, we're talking about the major categories, ones we normally talk about, acting, uh, screenplays, director, picture, the usual, suspects. And it's interesting because since the Globes happened, which was a big kerfuffle, which we talked about, uh, the good and the bad of the Globes last week. So check that out. YouTube, SoundCloud, all that. And since then, only a week later, a lot of Green Book news. Yeah. And not for good reasons, right? No. And that's, this is the big question, is does that matter enough during this voting period? will affect enough people to change minds and swing races? That's my main question, because I think a lot of the noms, in fact, a lot of the favorites, are really starting to fall into place. And whether you think A or B will win, it's pretty clear that A, B, and C will be there. You know what I'm saying? So I'm pretty confident in like three-fourths of every category right now. It's just a matter of who actually ends up winning and who fills up the the bottom bottom of the list for me. But what are your thoughts right now?
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm most interested to see, I guess, the the best picture race and the two the main uh, the best actor and the best actress race are probably the two that I'm most interested in, or the, the three I'm most interested in, only because I feel like no matter what happens, there's going to be one or two people in each category that I feel like really, really deserve a nomination based on their performances or based on the film's overall ability as a piece of art or uh, credence as a piece of art that are just not going to be able to get nominated based on. The limitations uh i guess maybe we should start with the lower like the maybe the less anticipated categories like best adapted screenplay or best original screenplay adapted screenplay i mean it feels like there's probably six in the race maybe seven the the lock's got to be clansman right black clansman beale street and a star is born
1: yep i'd also throw can you ever forgive me in there that movie's getting a lot of like attention attention's probably gonna get a fair amount of noms and maybe not win anything. Mm-hmm. And that would leave four. So it's all a matter of what's the what's the, the fifth spot. Yeah. I would of course cape for first right. man. And I think first man's close, but you know, does it get in
0: there? I mean right now looking at Gold Derby has Black Panther twenty three to two. Uh first man's a twenty to one odd. Um there's also Death of Stalin, Crazy Rich Asians, and Leave No Trace. Which, man, I mean, I feel like any of those could be deserving. I would probably want Black Panther to get in there because I. It makes sense that, especially because the Oscars are not—they're not, they're going without a host, but they're going to be basically bringing all the Avengers on stage. Like you should be celebrating these mm. superhero movies. I know that they get a knock, but they are the highest earning movies reliably right now along with horror films and if you make a quality one you they it should be rewarded so i hope black panther gets it i would probably bet first man gets nominated for this though
1: yeah you know i mean remember logan kind of broke down that barrier to a certain yep. extent uh, last year two years ago when it got the best uh adapted nom as well so it's not totally unspoken for it, but a marvel studios film really crossing over beyond the technical categories would be big and i think i mean We'll talk about Black Panther and Best Picture in a second, but I think we're probably going to see some of that. Over on Best Original Screenplay, I think that's probably a much more interesting race just because, well, there's two that are guaranteed. I'd say the Favorite and Roma. I think the Favorite is probably my choice to win just because that's a screenplay that really stands out. And check our review on the film, but it has an identity as a, as a screenplay, as a script, right? And Yorgo's effect. So that's obvious. Roma is a Best Picture frontrunner. Mm-hmm. That's a given. Then after that, Vice, Green Book, Green Book, we've talked about the screenplay not being a strength of the mm-hmm. film, to say the least. Will it still get this nom? Is it slipping? The problem is what will take the place? I think First Reformed, they're really campaigning for that. That's like the really award they're mm-hmm. focusing on. They kind of gave up on Ethan Hawke, unfortunately. A24 really wants this for Paul Schrader. I think, they should, I think it should win, uh, or sorry, at least like, a nominee, and I think it'll get there. So that's four. But is Green Book going to hang on? Because like, what, what's going to take the spot? Are you going to give it to Sorry to Bother You? I'd love to see that. I don't think it's going to happen. Eighth grade, Quiet Place, I don't see that either. So I think Green Book is just going to hang in there.
0: A Quiet Place really fascinates me, especially because, you know, uh, last year, Get Out, uh, I mean, Jordan Peele won for, I think it was Best Original Screenplay, right? So
1: yep, mm-hmm.
0: it would be interesting to see if they... Basically, I mean, a quiet place taking the place of Get Out it's a horror movie that came out earlier in the year, um, did really well at the box office, was a bit of a phenomenon. I wonder if it could be if if it could get there. I don't see Green Book coming out of it, though. And I if I had to if I was a betting man, I would bet that it'd be the all the ones that you mentioned right up front, that it would be um, the favorite Roma, Vice, Green Book. And uh, First Reformed, I think First Reformed's going to make it in there, and I really hope it does. It's 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 a film that's going to be under nominated this year for how good it was, and that's probably going to be my biggest disappointment mm-hmm. of the Oscars just in general. Is that it doesn't get enough love, even though it wasn't one of my favorite films of the year. You know, it was it was up there, but um, I still think it deserves to get uh, uh, credit for what it accomplished. Um, why don't we jump to the the best supporting mm-hmm. categories? Let's start with best supporting actor. So we already mentioned Mahershala for Green Book. He's he's the favorite. He's probably going to win.
1: Mm-hmm. He's
0: he's a lock. After that, I feel like it's kind of wide open. I mean, Richard E. Grant for Can You Ever Forgive Me seems like he's probably going to get there. Sam Elliott, I assume. Who after that though?
1: Yeah, this is another one where it's kind of a weak category, right? So it's like when I saw Sam Elliott in The Star Wars, I was like, I like Sam Elliott. I thought it was fine. Supporting roles good. But he wasn't in the nice. movie that much. He probably won't hang on for this award. But, I mean, who are you going to replace him with, right? You mentioned Mahershala. You mentioned Richard Grant's the upset pick, if it happens. Chalamet's going to get nominated for Beautiful Boy, but isn't going to win. And they really didn't push that at all. I don't think he's been... He I don't think he's in a whole hand. <laughs> uh, a whole, one whole hand for this film, <laughs> all season. So that's fine. And then you have Sam Elliott and Adam Driver, I guess, for Black Hansman. Like, Unless they do Sam Rockwell, they go all in that vice. Like what, Daniel Kaluuya for Widows? Widows is probably going to get almost nothing, if anything Travesty. at all. Brian Tyree Henry for Beale Street—that would be my yeah. choice. But it's only <laughs> one scene, and Beale Street is getting slightly overlooked throughout the season. So I won't like get my. Brian notes. Tyree
0: Henry is nominated. That's that's the Hannibal Lecter nomination right there. You know where? Kenny Hopkins won for like twelve minutes in the film. Like that's almost the exact same amount yeah, of time right. that Brian Tyree Henry. It's less than that. Yeah, it's like yeah. eight. So. Uh, <laughs> I wonder if Michael B. Jordan could get in there. He's pretty well-liked by the Academy.
1: That's true. The problem is I think there is some dislike for that performance. Some people think it's too over the top. I'm not one of those people, but I've heard that more than once. I mean, also like shout out Tom Waits and Buster Scruggs. Not going right. to happen, but that'd be cool. Paul Giamatti and Private Life. There are tons oh. of great performances that I'd love to see recognized, but they're just not realistic, right? Yeah, I think this one is like, it's kind of boring. Yeah. You know? Because it's, like, it's Mahershala. like Sam Elliott and Driver are just kind of going in because you're not going to pick the other people. So, Who, yeah, who would you
0: want? Like, it, it, let, Let's say we know it's those top three. Who would be the two that you, you personally would want? I guess I'd probably want Chalamet and Michael B. Jordan.
1: Yeah, I'd root for Chalamet and then like... Brian Tyree. I mean, let's go off the... I mean, re, there's other types of film. Let's recognize Daniel yeah. Kaluuya. That was a great yeah. performance. And then, yeah, fuck it. Brian Tyree Henry. Yeah,
0: Kahlua is so intimidating. We talked about it when we reviewed the pod, but just like what he does with his eyes in that film, he like is probably the best actor with just one yeah. part of his body. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm, we're moving off sure. that comment quick. <laughs> best supporting <laughs> actress, so Regina King won at the Globes. Um, she's, uh, I, I assume, a heavy favorite for this. But then it's interesting because, I mean, the, the the Globe nominations were probably probably got it right for the most part, but. I mean, so you probably have Amy Adams coming behind her for Vice, Emma Stone and Rachel Vice. This yep. spot, I would love to see Nicole Kidman get it, and she would get it for Boy Erased, but I would want her to almost get it as like for Destroyer, like it's like to, to recognize that performance, because yeah. she's not going to get into the best actress
1: category, I don't think, but she deserves it. She's really good in, De- in, uh, in Destroyer, but that's right. a lead role, and she's good in Boy Erased as well, but that's a performance we've seen from her before. That's like her performance in Lion. So yeah, I mean, then on the other hand, Nicole kidman has been honored plenty. It's not like anyone's crying sure, I mean. over her not getting another nomination. So it's like that okay. fifth spot, I think everyone's just kind of penciling in Claire Foy from First Man. And that's, again, it's we can pick Michelle Yeoh from Crazy Rich Asians. I, I think that's a bit of a stretch if the movie's not going to get much else. Mm-hmm. And then like Thomasin McKenzie from Leave No Trace. Cool. That movie probably won't get much of anything either. Yeah and it's probably just going to be overlooked, so that's another tough sell to me. So yeah, I'm, I'm probably just going we'll to have, it'll be clarified, fifth place, no chance spot.
0: Yeah, well, so since that that seems like a pretty sure lock, why don't we jump into the best actor category? We know the favorites, there's probably three that are up there, Bradley Cooper, Christian Bale, and Rami Malek, you know, A Star is Born, Vice, and Bohemian Rhapsody, which Won the Golden Globe for uh, best film, best drama, which uh, check out our discussion on that last week, because I think I I still haven't really recovered. But those three are, are almost a lock. Vigo for Green Book. You know, Green Book's taking a hit right now. Do you think he could possibly fall out of this category?
1: This is another one where I think we've talked about this race a lot, right? We mentioned Ethan Hawke, mentioned a lot of Robert Redford. We mentioned a lot of people that we assume were in the mix for this, right? And I think the ultimate problem for me is, I looked at the SAG nominations. The actors comprise the biggest block of the voting academy. And the SAGs went Cooper, Maldick, Bale, Vigo, John David Washington from Black Mm -hmm. Klansman. And as much as I might pick other people, I think that's just kind of what we're going to get. Unless there's some real evangelizing for Redford and Hawk or Willem Dafoe for Matt Terneski. I just... You know, I I think this is kind of just going to go chalk, and I don't think Vigo has any shot at winning. But I don't think anyone's really holding Greenbook's faults against Vigo as the performer. Everyone's just kind of given him and Mahershala a pass for the movie, right? And also thought they were pretty good along the way. So, you know, I think I'm just going to defer to that. But I mean, I would root for. I mean, and like Ryan Gosling, if First Man had done better and was bigger all season that would have made more sense but i don't think he has a chance now so it's really hard to foresee anyone else stepping in you know given the scope of the movies they're representing i mean tom cruise and mission impossible i've mentioned it before that's uh, not going to happen but it, i wish it would
0: yeah you know if i if i could hope for one person to be in that fifth <coughs> spot it definitely wouldn't be Willem Dafoe. i didn't think he was that good in aquaman actually <laughs> no but uh, i i mean i i talked about it on our best of pod i love Red Redford's Volco. performance. I would love to see him get that legacy nomination, uh, especially since it's supposedly his last movie. Hawk would also be great, but it's most likely going to be those five. And I'm I'm just happy for John David Washington. If I had to put money on it, I think nice Christian Bell will probably win. I think Cooper's gonna yeah. not not gonna take it home, but we'll see. Uh, to be seen in this category it feels a bit more mm-hmm. wide open than some of the the supporting roles. Best actress. Glenn Close, definitely nominated. Lady Gaga, <laughs> definitely nominated. Olivia <laughs> Colman, seems like a lock. And then, definitely McCarthy, a lock for Can You Ever Forgive Me. That fifth spot, though, a bit more a bit more open. You know who I want to get in here? Yalitza Aparicio. Because, goddamn mm. this, she excellent in Roma. For her first role, too. Um, she deserves the nomination. But who would you want to see get that fifth spot?
1: Yeah, you already mentioned Kidman. I really like Regina Hall and support mm-hmm. the girls. I really like Elsie Fisher in eighth grade. A lot of people like Tony Collette in Hereditary. There's a lot of good picks for this. Viola Davis, Rosamund Pike in A Private War. I thought Carrie she was Mulligan really good. in Wildlife. Of course, yeah, there's a lot. And then, and then uh, there's other ones that don't seem to have a chance, like Saoirse Ronan, yeah. who was recently nominated for this, right? Kiki Lane in another year might have got to sneak in here as a newcomer. But I think that fifth spot will probably just default to Emily Blunt. A lot of people thought Mary Poppins Returns would get more nominations than it's probably going to, but no one's really denied that Blunt's the best part of the film and well-liked, and you can almost see it as a, a dual nom, considering she was also in a quiet place. So I'm going to default to that, and I think that's probably what's going to yeah,
0: happen. Yeah, and who do you got to win? Close?
1: No, I have Coleman uh, winning.
0: That, that'd be awesome. Because
1: um, like I said with the Globes... Close and Gaga did not go head-to-head with Coleman, so we don't know that yet, and I think, I think Coleman's think that, winner. That'd
0: be great, and uh, I really hope that either her or Gaga pulled out. Nothing against Glenn Coast. haven't seen The Wife, so I can't really speak to her performance. I'm just going off what I've seen. Best Director, Alfonso Cuaron. Heavy favorite. I would almost guarantee going to get nominated and win this, but Bradley Cooper's also in it for A stars Born. Black Klansman, Spike Lee seems like he's a pretty sure bet. Then uh, Yorgos, I think for the favorite, will probably get the nomination. Fucking just, better get in. <laughs> I just really want to see Barry Jenkins get nominated, man. Like, I feel like yeah. he's on the outside
1: looking in, though. The problem is Peter Farrelly for Green Book, right? No matter whose spot he takes, he's taking yep. the spot. Like You mentioned Yorgos, Barry Jenkins, Chazelle, McKay, Kugler, Pavel Plavosky for Cold War, who's got some love. All of them are better picks than Peter Farrelly. Green Book is a conventionally old school directed film. He's not like the star of why that movie works for people. So that's going to be very disappointing if he gets in there. The controversies around Green Book, some of them directly relate to him. We'd like to think they would honor Barry Jenkins, someone they'd honor before. And the Orgos, I mean, watch The Favorite and tell me that that wasn't directed unlike anything else. Like, that's a colossal snub if it's the Orgos they don't pick. So it's really up to what happens with Fairly, honestly. I
0: really hope Fairley doesn't get in. My my pick would be Jenkins. Um, but if McKay or Coogler gets in there over Fairley, that'd be great. I think those top four you really can't touch though. Like Spike Lee, I think deserves it. Nope. Cooper, Koron, uh, and most all stand out. Why don't we round it out here? So we got eight spots for Best Picture right now on Gold Derby. Interestingly, maybe these are old odds I'm looking at. I don't think so though. It would have Bohemian Rhapsody on the outside looking in. Do you see that happening that the Golden Globe winner for best drama could potentially not even be nominated?
1: Best picture is up. You can get up to ten nominations, right? Not guaranteed. You don't have to pick ten, but you can I get thought
0: up to ten. It was only 10, eight, but right? that was maybe it was only eight were nominated.
1: Well, when they expanded after The Dark Knight didn't make it for 09, yeah. they made it ten, and then a few years later they switched it to like up to ten, and I think at least at least five, maybe a little more, something like that. So it's variable, tough to bank on like those last few being guaranteed, right? But even so, I think there's some obvious ones that are going to be there. Roma will be there, Stars won't be there. Green Book will still be in Best Picture. Favorite will be there. That's mm-hmm. four. Vice, despite the polarizing reception, in a certain sense, it's going to get some love elsewhere, including Bale. I think Vice is still a lock, although it really has no chance to win. A lot of people thought it mm-hmm. might have before, right? So that's Vice. I think Beale Street yeah. will still get in there. That's six. Black Klansman, seven. Now, eight, if if it's just eight, for example, stick with that, is it Black Panther? Is it Bohemian Rhapsody? Is it something unexpected like First Man? Because if it's 10, all three of those could get it. I think Black Panther probably has a better shot than Bohemian Rhapsody if it's pick one right now, just because I think that Golden Globe immediate backlash will be fresh on people's minds when they voted this following week. Who, who no I, I
0: i agree with what you're saying and I really hope you're right it feels like it was a really good year for film so many good directors and so many good performances almost like too many <laughs> like I'm looking here at like the films that are left off and like uh it would have it would be really nice to see a film like can you ever forgive me sneak in there or eighth grade which mm-hmm. I really loved um first reformed like we talked about I think that could be deserving of getting in there too there's so many that are going to be left out. Who who would be your pick to win this? I feel like this is a little bit more... Uh, I feel like there's like three that could potentially really take this home. Maybe four with uh, Clansman having an outside shot.
1: Yeah, I think ultimately it's Rome, or Star is Born. I never really so subscribed to Green Book or Queen Rhapsody actually getting it done. And I'm still going to... I'm... La Fuck. I'm not. I'm not convinced yet, but I'm still gonna lean with Roma. Actually, given The Star is Born is slightly faltered yeah. earlier, right? It'll be interesting to see how many unconventional picks get in. I mean, in a certain sense, Black Klansman is one of those picks. But then when we're talking about Black Panther and Beaming and Rhapsody, you know, it's it's a, a wider scope than I think people anticipate at the start of the year. It's also funny because there's a lot of movies that are gonna be. Very under-nommed, if at all. I mean, from big directors, Steve McQueen had a movie this year. Jason Reitman had two movies. Glenn Eastwood, the Cohen brothers, Spielberg, Wes Anderson, a lot, a lot of directors, people at the Academy like that have been nominated before, don't really seem to have any chance at much of anything. So it's an interesting year.
0: Definitely an interesting year. My pick would be *Star is Born*. I think they're going to fall short in a lot of the categories they get nominated for, uh, but I think this they'll actually take home the big prize at the end of the night. Either way, once the nominations come out, we'll have some analysis on our Twitter about it, so uh, follow at NostalgiaPod on Twitter, and we'll also be tweeting along when the Oscars uh, happen on, I believe it's the 22nd, if I'm correct. Please follow us there for all of our analysis around this, and if, if there's something really big, like if there's really something to talk about with it... 24th, sorry. Yeah, uh, we'll, on the 24th, we'll 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 bring it up and we'll talk about it on the pod before then, but if not, come back here and, and see if we got it right. I think that's going to do it for us for this week, Dave. Any last thoughts for the people?
1: Shit ton of music, as we mentioned at the top Mm -hmm. this week. That's really the primary focus for us. Three big ones, Maggie Rogers, James Blake, Future. But then other things that are interesting, Sharon Van Etten, Rich the Kid, YNM Melly, Mike Posner. We'll try and get to as much as we can. I'll also chime in on Glass my Shyamalan yeah. film. It's the first big movie of the year. It hasn't reviewed too well but I'm still going to check it out. The sequel to Unbreakable and Split, which was not a planned uh, trilogy until the end of Split, as everyone found out. So I'm very interested in see what's going on with Glass. With so I'll chime in on that. And in the meantime, keep watching True Detective.
0: Yeah. Uh, we're going to have a huge music pod for you next week, so make sure your Spotify subscription is valid and good to go because we got a lot to work through in the meantime again soundcloud.com slash now your pod to find any way to find the pod give us a reading and review on itunes follow us on twitter all that good stuff we appreciate you peace out